You're listening to Matter of Pride, the comedy education for queers and allies with me, comedian Erin Twitchin. Each week, I take a different area of gay history and break down the basics. I do the Google so you don't have to. This week, we're discussing trans rights via a quick detour through a haunted house. If you want to support the show, you can be a bae and subscribe to the Patreon at forward slash Erin Twitchin or buy cute merch from my humbly titled website www.iloveerin.co.uk For more information on the issues covered in this show, there are links to resources in the show notes. As ever, the best way to support the show is by sharing on social media or you could leave a review on iTunes. Let's get into it. As a society, we love burning things. Whether it's candles, barbecues, or witches, we love to see things up in flames. In 2020, J.K. Rowling, the famous Harry Potter author, saw her books back on the bonfire after Twitter conversations caused political controversy throughout the trans and feminist community. Rowling seems to cause controversy quite a lot. Like when she was accused of perpetuating Satanism, book burning. Or when she was anti-Trump, book burning. Or when she cut in a fringe, mild mocking in Marie Claire. It's aggressive and archaic, this attack on women. And also, burning books is just really dumb. Like, when you think about it, if you've already bought the books, it doesn't matter. She doesn't care how well you preserve them after she's had her cut of 16 My friend tried to join in, but his were all on Kindle, and it's just not the same when electronics are smouldering. For the most part, I have always found Rowling an amazing figure. I mean, she defied the odds as an author, and she seems to have been a crisp, collected voice in political discourse. But her 2020 rantings really had me going, Wingardium Levy, what now? It started when Maya Forstarter, a feminist researcher from the think tank Centre for Global Development, tweeted, There are two sexes. Men are male, women are female. It's impossible to change sex. These were until very recently understood as basic facts of life. Maya also added, Women face discrimination on the basis of our sex. Women's rights have been hard won in recent generations. Protections against sex discrimination depend on being able to recognise sex. These tweets led to her losing her job and Rowling rising to her defence with Dress however you please. Call yourself whatever you like. Sleep with any consenting adult who'll have you. Live your best life in peace and security. But force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. I stand with Maya. If sex isn't real, there's no same-sex attraction. If sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. I know and love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives, JK concludes. The reaction led to her gaining the label TERF, an acronym that stands for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminist. For those unsure, The JK, as an acronym in Rowling, stands for Joanne Kathleen, not just kidding, which her agent tried to pass her comments off as. The comments Rowling makes are a common thread in the anti-trans debate. I know this because the anti-trans Twitter army are prolific, and I found myself on the wrong end of their wrath more than once. Essentially, the crux of their argument is this. 
The existence of trans women negates and knocks back the rights of women. And the acceptance of trans people destroys the definition of sex and gender, opening the door for conversion therapy. Well, I don't think anyone is trying to erase the concept of sex, as Rowling suggests. I mean, I'm certainly not. I'm just accepting that maybe it isn't quite so black and white. I'm no medical expert, but I've seen enough Holby City to know intersex people exist. Those born with both sets of genitals, or neither. If these situations occur, then clearly sex isn't binary. So I'd like to take Rowling's argument and apply it to another area of human biology. Hair colour. Hair colour is real, especially for gingers. If hair colour isn't real, then the lived reality of gingers globally is erased. I know and love ginger people, but I don't think me adding the occasional highlight, or that one time where it went very orange, will erase the concept of hair colour or the ability of many to meaningfully discuss bullying in their lives. As someone who has frequently changed the identity of her own hair, from blonde to copper to brown, defying its natural shade of mousy, I'd think J.K. Rowling would understand that. Surprisingly, well, to me at least, there is a growing distrust and disbelief for trans rights within the gay community itself. Drop the T from the LGB! This faction believes that the existence of trans sex supports the notion that you can change someone's sexuality, opening the door to conversion therapy for gay people. They argue allowing men to become women means same-sex attraction doesn't exist anymore because lesbians will be forced to marry men in dresses. I can understand the fear that their identity is at risk, but I just don't see the link. Allowing trans people to exist isn't saying lesbians have to date every trans woman they see at a bar or that we need to start electrocuting people into heterosexual relationships. It's just saying, be civil. Let people be. If anything, I can only see their arguments supporting conversion therapy. The rhetoric of sexual deviance being a result of mental health is identical to that which was used in the 80s against gay men. And if anything, suggesting that trans people just need the right medical support would suggest that you could just give the right medical support to gay people too. That's what conversion therapy is. In the wake of the debate, J.K. Rowling took to publishing an open letter on her website. She said it was a letter for all the people that have contacted her. From the mother of a child who was afraid their child wanted to transition to escape homophobic bullying, to a hitherto totally unfeminist older lady who's vowed never to visit Marks and Spencer again because they're allowing any man who says they identify as a woman into the women's changing rooms. Behind the beautiful wordplay and emotive examples, there is real misinformation. I mean, this is just not happening, men walking into women's changing rooms. Especially not in Marks and Spencers. They won't even let you use the toilet unless you've got three receipts and their label in your bra. The dangerous idea here is that changing sex is easy and it's just any man running around in a wig. It's not. It's a super long process. You don't just wake up on a Monday, go for surgery on a Tuesday, start living like a woman on a Wednesday, and by Thursday and Friday and Saturday, you're on 80% pay and staring at a glass ceiling. It takes much, 
much longer. In 2015, the ITV News investigation found the average waiting time for a first appointment is 34 weeks. That's eight and a half months. You can have a baby in that time. You can have a baby and not know about it in that time. You can get Sonia Jackson pregnant at a tech dance, then poop it out in the toilet in the time it takes a trans person just to get a first appointment. So what exactly is the process? Well, in order to change gender, trans people need to meet the legal requirements set out by the Gender Recognition Act 2004. From that, they can receive a gender recognition certificate by which their birth certificate is changed. This is broken down into seven requirements. Step one and two are a medical diagnosis and subsequent report of gender dysphoria the critical element of which is distress. It's not just that you prefer to wear boys' clothes. You have to convince a doctor this is making you crazy. Problematic in and of itself. Then you need proof of having lived as your chosen gender for two years. That doesn't just mean popping into the M&S bathroom and sipping white wine spritzers with the gals. It means pay slips, doctor's notes, bank statements. I had to queue for an hour at Halifax to change house. Imagine the utter ball ache of convincing Karen you're a Kevin. Step four is a statutory declaration of intention to live in the acquired gender until death. I mean, who visited the bank for that proof of gender, death is welcomed. Step five is written consent from your spouse. Because what is marriage if not just a legal contract of ownership? And finally, you pay a fee of £140, because capitalism. (laughs) Then, all this information is compiled and submitted to a panel, which the applicant never actually meets. I mean, of course. Once you've been diagnosed by a doctor, changed your password, paid for surgery, lived two years of your life as your chosen gender, and convinced your partner, (laughs) it should be down to a panel of people you've never met to decide your fate. As of March 2020, these panels rejected 7% of cases. After all that process, a panel of six people who don't know you just turn around and go, nah, not today. Just imagine going through all that just to be rejected. It'd be like breaking into the Chamber of Secrets, knocking through the chess pieces, slaying the basilisk, only to realise she who shall not be named has already left. It's not even like following this seven-step process is easy. Amy Stevens, an American employee of a funeral home, informed her employer she would be undergoing gender reassignment and taking a couple weeks leave to return in female clothes and make the transition easier for co-workers. They fired her. When the case went to court, it was argued she was not fired for her gender identity, but because she refused to follow her employer's dress code, which requires men to wear a suit and women to wear a dress or skirt. Which begs the question, why? Why must a woman wear a skirt? Must she be well ventilated for fear she will overheat? Or is it just that skirts are much better but the men can't be trusted? Are they too dangerous for the delicate male testicles? Would women simply be unable to control themselves with such an open point of access? I've been to enough Scottish weddings to know a kilt is just asking for a grope. Well, one. I've been to one Scottish wedding in a cinema. 
I mean, I watched it in a movie. It's Amy Stevens' testimony that struck me the most. I realise that some of you may have trouble understanding this. In truth, I have had to live with it every day of my life, and even I do not fully understand it myself. That just resonated with me. We constantly seek answers from trans people as if they have them. As if in some way they have manifested this upon themselves, just because we don't understand. Like, I really hate ghost trains. I'm hysterical. I scream uncontrollably, even though I know it's just a man in a suit. I'm banned from Brighton Pier because I've punched a zombie. If someone asked me to explain that, logically, why I'm scared, I couldn't. I know it's not real, and I know it happens all the time, and I've lived with it and I've rationalised it, but I don't fully understand it. If I can't understand why I scream at old bedsheets, why should we expect an individual to comprehend and explain to us the complex nature of their gender? After a seven-year legal battle on the 15th of June 2020, the Supreme Court of America found in favour of Amy Stevens' case, 6-3, provided a landmark test decision for all future cases. It is analytically impossible to fire an employee based on that employee's status as a transgender person without being motivated, at least in part, by the employee's sex, the court said in its decision. An employer cannot discriminate on the basis of transgender status without imposing its stereotypical notions of how sexual organs and gender identity ought to align. Amy herself never got to see the result. She died earlier that year from a long-term kidney disease. The truth is, we don't even know how many trans people there are in the UK. The 2021 census will be the first to try and accurately count the trans population, which, when you think about it, it's pretty awful. How can you possibly cater to a community if you don't even know how many of them there are? It's like trying to count the members of So Solid Crew. This is a country counting its population. It's not a village fate trying to estimate the number of ball bearings in a jar. Work by the Office for National Statistics tentatively estimates the number of trans people in the UK at 200 to 500,000. That's less than 1% of the population. Imagine how hard that makes it to find someone like you. Someone who understands you. Who you can talk to about your problems. In a room of 200 people, you might meet a trans person and they might not even be out. And even then, they might not even know it, let alone like you. In J.K. Rowling's open letter, she highlights five key points of worry about trans progress affecting women's rights. The most complicated are at points four and five. In her words... I'm concerned about the huge explosion in young women wishing to transition and also about the increasing numbers who seem to be detransitioning, returning to their original sex because they regret taking steps that have, in some cases, altered their bodies irrevocably and taken away their fertility. Some say they decided to transition after realising they were same-sex attracted and that transitioning was partly driven by homophobia 
either in society or in their families. Explosion is a pretty strong term to be using. If we don't know the true number of trans people in the country, we certainly can't accurately depict their experience. A study conducted on patients in 2016 by an NHS foundation trust found less than 0.5% of patients express regrets about the transition, let alone change back. Growing up in Broughton, the largest village in Europe, I didn't know I was gay. I don't think I even knew what gay was. There wasn't much of it to see, unless two middle-aged housewives on the cover of Razzle counted as queer. Somehow, everyone around me knew before I did. I guess there were a few giveaways. I liked to dance, I played with my little ponies, and I truly believed I would grow up to be Pocahontas. I remember as young as primary school being cornered by a classmate in the Lego box with the statement, You're a girl, aren't you? You want to be a girl. He seemed to be being nice, actually. Like he genuinely wanted to help out. He made me sign a piece of paper saying I wanted to have a sex change, the only viable option to a ten-year-old. I signed the paper and he passed it round the whole class. He made me add, if destroyed, still true, so I knew it had real gravitas. That incident was probably talked about the school for, I don't know, a day? A week at most. It wasn't pleasant, but that peer pressure certainly couldn't have pushed me through seven stages of transitional difficulties. I wasn't trans, and I never wanted to be. I was a lost and confused homosexual. Actually, I probably wasn't even that. I was just a kid that wanted the Lady Lego bit. I just don't see or believe that vast swarms of people could be convinced to be trans unless they really, really wanted to. It's not like it's an easy ride with vast benefits. For those who do regret transitioning, the feelings seem to be around still feeling incomplete and uncomfortable in the world. I didn't think any change was going to be enough in the end, and I thought it was better to work on changing how I felt about myself than changing my body, says Ruby, a detransitioned woman speaking to Sky News in 2019. I've seen similarities in the way I experience gender dysphoria in the way I experience other body issues. For everyone who has gender dysphoria, whether they're trans or not, I want there to be more options for us because I think there is a system of saying, Okay, here's your hormones, here's your surgery, off you go. I don't think that's helpful for anyone. Listening to her story is sad because it just seems that we don't support people enough full stop, right? Whatever issue someone is going through, we don't appear to be providing the right help and they find themselves with the wrong solution trying to make it fit. And instead of questioning that process that gave them solution, we start pointing the finger and attacking other people who are in vulnerable situations. I guess another question here, in terms of detransitioning, is, so what? I mean, is it a problem? I mean, people are allowed to be straight and then be gay and then decide, actually, they prefer the opposite sex again. Because we change a lot in our lives. People are allowed to fall in love, get married, and then decide, actually, they don't love each other anymore. Like, I have a friend, Victoria Beckham, who was allowed to get bigger breasts. Really perky, massive ones that popped out of every corset. And then she decided, actually, she wants her little bitty breasts back. So she did. And no one complained. Because we change a lot in our lives. So why can't a trans person do that? 
Why is it societally unacceptable to believe someone may be more female in their 20s and then more masculine in their 50s? How much is it really harming us to let others live their lives? With very little data and research, this whole area is pretty much anecdotal. It's one person's estimation versus another, which isn't a great standard of psychological research. If you wrote that in a dissertation, Freud would come back from the dead and put a big red cross in it. There's an element here of creating echo chambers. Surrounding ourselves with people who say the same and believe the same as us. If I'm a trans male detransitioning and I share that experience online, I'm going to attract other trans people considering detransitioning. If my inbox is flooded with people needing this support, I'm going to believe it's a huge population, whether it is or not. The same would apply to JK Rowling. She speaks out about an issue and receives a mailbox of reinforcement. Of course, she's going to believe that's the world view. That's why Jim Davidson thinks he's funny. All the people who like racist and homophobic jokes come along and laugh and he thinks, oh, this is everyone, fa la 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 la, I'm hilarious. Is Jim Davidson objectively funny? That's not for me to say. Just like as a cis white male, it's not for me to say whether detransitioning is or isn't a thing. With there being no data at all, I do think it's fair to say, someone bloody research it. Without research, we will never know why people want to detransition. Is it because they were never truly trans in the first place? Or is it because the post-trans experience is so extremely painful, so underfunded, so derided by employers and supported by vengeful letters from prolific authors, that it spoils the whole journey for everyone? We won't know. As this is anecdotal evidence, I guess I can share my anecdotal experience. I have met many trans people through the scene, through comedy or through circus, but I've never met a single trans person who ever felt anything less than better after transitioning. I remember when I first found out my friend Donna was transitioning from a man. I'd known her previously and always found them rather odd. They made me feel really unsettled and I couldn't tell if they liked me or outright hated me. The minute I was reintroduced to Donna, it was like a different person. She seemed so much more relaxed and nicer and I liked her a lot. I remember telling this to Donna later and she remarked, Truth be told, Erin, I never really liked the old me either. They made me really unsettled and I outright hated me, so of course it was going to show. Rowling's final point and possibly the most painful to read, is around safe spaces. When you throw open the doors of bathrooms and changing rooms to any man who believes or feels he's a woman, and as I've said, gender confirmation certificates may now be granted without any need for surgery or hormones, then you open the door to any and all men who wish to come inside. I think this is a genuine fear for a lot of women. And that's terrible. I too have worked in domestic abuse and I recognise the greater need of protection for women in society, just generally, but is this really about trans men in women's changing rooms? If an attacker wants to attack a woman, he will attack a woman, whether in the changing rooms or in the alley outside. Reducing the rights of already suffering trans people, I don't think it's going to stop that. 
is the question really, are trans people sexual predators? For that, we turn to data. The campaign group Fair Play for Women claims 41% of transgender women in prison are convicted sex offenders. But this has been widely disputed by the Ministry of Justice itself. It's based on a government survey that counted 125 transgender prisoners in England and Wales out of 83,000, so only 0.1% of trans people are offenders. Not a particularly high volume. Of those, 60 had been convicted of sexual offences, but it did not identify their gender, or actually the severity of their offence. Furthermore, any trans inmates on shorter sentences, the sort of thing that you'd get for a non-sexual offence, wouldn't show up in this data, because they won't have been in prison long enough to be registered as trans and go through that process. It also doesn't put this into context of the wider prison population, where 46% of inmates are in for violent or sexual offences. Effectively, saying 41% of transgender women in prison are convicted sex offenders is a bit of a red flag making it seem like a bigger problem. The Ministry of Justice's 2016 Transgender Review findings stated they have seen no evidence that being transgender is in itself linked to risk. They also conceded there were no real estimates of trans individuals within prisons. If we don't even know how many there are in our prisons, we certainly can't suggest they're a massive cause of these kind of offences. Would Carol Vorderman approve of a number like that? I don't think so. Whilst it's important to preserve and protect spaces to avoid victims of sexual harm, we shouldn't do this by creating another victim out of a whole community. Especially when there is very little evidence, well, that I can see, to suggest they're responsible for it. It also got me wondering about safe spaces for trans people themselves. A survey by Stonewall found 25% of trans people had been made homeless without a single space they can call safe. 25% is a lot. That's like a whole member of All Saints. That's like imagining Shazne singing Never Ever from a cardboard box because she refused to gender conform and wore baggy combat trousers. Predators will attack anywhere. And that's awful. And that's something we actively need to tackle. I don't think we tackle it by attacking another vulnerable community. I'll be honest, I often wondered why the T stood with the LGB. It seemed to me to be a completely different experience. Parts of the lesbian and gay male experience seem the same. We grew up fancying, or hiding our fancyings, for the same sex. Admittedly, for the men, it involved a lot less Alanis Morissette, but still very similar. For a trans person, they can grow up feeling totally at odds with their own body. Like their bodies defy who they feel as as a human being. I could never understand how that feels. Sure, I always felt out of place in my home village, but I never felt out of place in my own body. I mean, come on, have you seen my body? <laughs> it looks great. I hated the way the label put us all into one box. It felt like saying there was straight, and then there was other. It's like the same way we lazily label ethnicity as minority groups when really we just mean not the privileged white. LGB to me felt like, well, honestly, 
It felt like people were saying freaks. I didn't understand how we could talk about an LGBT community as a whole when everyone was so different. But then I realised it's not about our differences, but about our similarities. And more importantly, the support that we need from each other. Gay rights would not be as advanced as they are without the trans community. Every protest I've seen, every community project, even every gay-friendly comedy night, trans people have been front and centre with their support. But without the rest of the LGBTQ+, all the letters that make up our diverse rainbow, we'd be much, much smaller. And have much less power. Without us all working as allies, how well can trans people fight for their rights? Pretty damn well, actually, if you see my friend Donna with a Chardonnay in her. For me, the T stands firmly with my LGB. I think one of the saddest things about this, in a lot of ways, JK Rowling is a really, really nice person. She puts an awful lot of good into the country. She created a world that has given so many hope and understanding. I mean, the Potterverse encouraged kids to read. Also encouraged a lot of middle-aged men to put Hufflepuff on their Tinder, but... She created a world filled with moralistic choices and Julie Walter cameos, where characters purposely steer away from evil. A world where a little boy could feel his whole life like an outsider, like he didn't belong, like there was something bigger and better for him, like he wasn't truly normal. And he was right. And when he found a new life, even though it was a seven-year transitional period of absolute hell, the result was so much better. Now, I've never been a little trans child, but imagine if I had that would be pretty relatable. So have that turned around and against me must be book-burning painful. Rowling's open letter's final plea resonates. All I'm asking, all I want, is for similar empathy, similar understanding to be extended to the many millions of women whose sole crime is wanting their concerns to be heard without receiving threats and abuse. And I agree, we shouldn't be sending out threats and abuse to anyone. But don't trans people deserve that too? The truth is, she can walk away from this debate and continue to live her life exactly as she always has. She's always been able to do that. And so can I. I can remove this podcast, I can delete the webpage, I can forget about it. But trans people can't. They can argue and get fed up, or they can sit in silence and get fed up. But they can never escape this narrative because it affects them every day. Thanks for listening. This show was written by, performed by, produced by, and recorded by me, Erin Twitchin. I did everything. All from a closet, which maybe isn't as progressive as I thought it might be. It's all completely self-funded and self-produced. As ever, the best way to support the podcast is by sharing it directly with friends or by leaving a review on iTunes. Unless you're a publishing house, in which case, publish less turf talent. If you want to be an absolute bay, you can subscribe to the Patreon or buy cute Matter of Pride merch. 
All links are available on my humbly titled website, iloveerin.co.uk. Remember to hit subscribe and I will speak with you next week. Love, Aaron. <laughs>